Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I failed you last week. I failed everybody last week. I'm trying to do this uh, every Thursday, and I was flying home from Arizona, the owners' meetings last Thursday, so I did not pull it off. I did not get a podcast, and so you missed one. But that's why we're back here, and this one is going to make up for us missing last week. It's going to be so darn good. It's going to be so amazing that you're going to be like, oh, it's okay that he missed last week, all right? Because we got a, we got an awesome guest, ESPN analyst and insider Field Yates. He's going to run us through the draft and what uh, he thinks of the, where the Giants are. We're going to go over some interesting scenarios, such as what happens if Kyler Murray doesn't go number one overall? Does he have a chance to get to the Giants? But in the meantime... Let's go over a few things because while I was at the owners' meetings, there was a couple things that were buzzing, right? And the first thing is, it all basically has to do with quarterbacks, right? I mean, that's where we're at right now with the Giants. Do they get a quarterback this year? Where do they get him? Is it Josh Rosen? Is it in the draft? Is it at number six, at number 17? And the, the feeling that I've been getting after talking to a bunch of people is the Giants are more likely to get a quarterback at 17 with the number 17 overall pick then number 6 overall right and you know John Maris said something and it kind of stuck in my head is they want to make sure that the grade of the quarterback aligns or the grade of the player aligns with the pick if they don't have a quarterback rated in their top 7 players they're not going to draft a quarterback at number 6 overall because it doesn't align correctly. Now, you can make the argument any way you want. I don't seem to get this very much. doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Because to me, it's just such an important position. If you think a guy is a franchise quarterback and you have him rated as the 12th overall player on your board, I don't care if you draft him at 6. Because he's that, it's that important a position. So to me, if they do go this direction, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But... That's just the feeling that I'm getting right now. Is that at number six, they see the defensive talent on the board. They see the potential of guys like, uh, Quinn and Williams. I almost called him Joey Bosa. Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Christian Wilkins, Rashawn Gary, Ed Oliver, um, Devin White, Devin Bush. And they say, those are our highest graded guys on the board. We need to get one of those guys at six. Now, if it, in my opinion, I'll, I'll go over who I like, which, not who I like, but who I'm projecting at this point. We're still several weeks out. I haven't gotten, I don't have enough intel to make my final prediction really of, of what's going to happen in front of the Giants, but I'll go over in a little bit over who I think is their most likely pick right now. And we'll do that during the Giants After Dark segment later. So make sure you stick around and listen to that. That'll come up after field. But in the meantime, the other question I'm getting is, are they going to get Josh Rosen? Okay? And here's what I know. Not what I'm, what I think. Here's what I know. The Giants are not in love with Josh Rosen. Fact. Okay? Now... He comes at a really good price in terms of contract. Was it like, you know, 
six a million and a half this year or something like that. But the signing bonus is already paid out. Over the life of his contract, six million or whatever's left. Something like that. So very cheap in regards to financially. But and here's the thing. If he's going to cost a fairly high amount in returns of capital in return, his value, if it's a second round pick, I don't think the Giants would go in that direction. Any of the first-round picks, forget about it. I know he was a first-round pick last year. They don't love him as a player. There's concerns about whether his personality and everything will hold up in New York, and he's the type of leader that everybody that you need at quarterback, that everybody needs at quarterback. And there's nothing in the past year, I don't think, that kind of took those concerns and eliminated them. So they still exist. Now, the Giants had a pretty solid grade on on him last year. I believe it was the first-round grade. So they would take the shot if the price is right. Now, what I believe that would be was somewhere would be somewhere in the third-round range. So if they could, if if it's their third-round pick for Josh Rosen, sure. But I also think that the Arizona Cardinals can get more than that from somebody else. Somebody will pony up. That second round pick. It's been reported. I don't know this. That somebody has already offered a second round pick. Don't think it's the Giants. Be stunned if it's the Giants. Pick number 37. I'd be stunned. Don't think they're going to go in that direction. Now, they'd be foolish not to look at it. And so they are going to look at it. They're going to look into the situation. If if, if Josh Rosen is even going to be traded from the Arizona Cardinals. And they draft Kyler Murray number one overall. The Giants would be foolish not to do their due diligence, see what the price is, see what the potential is, and then make their decision from there. But, and this is what I reported, it is unlikely that they make that move, ultimately, in my opinion. It's unlikely that they price is that low where you'll see Josh Rosen on the Giants. Because you don't really want to settle for a franchise quarterback. And he'll have to sit this year, likely, behind Eli Manning. He comes here instantly. Now they have a quarterback controversy. Right? Everyone's going to be like, Josh Rosen's to play. Josh Rosen's to play. Eli throws an interception. The second he throws an interception or makes a bad play, oh, Josh Rosen's better than him. So, and if they're not fully committed to him, which they probably wouldn't be for a third-round pick, they would want to see what they have first. Before making a decision, and then they have stuck. Then they're sitting there with Eli Manning, who's a seventeen million dollar investment on the bench. That's not good for anybody. In the Giants' eyes, I believe. Now I see it as a no. What can you lose investment if it's super cheap? You put him there. If he outplays Eli Manning, big deal. Who cares? Put him in instead of Eli Manning. We're at the point where if Eli Manning is not the best option on the roster. He shouldn't be playing. You know, the the past few years have put him in that situation. So to me, that wouldn't bother me. But I'm not running the Giants. Remember that. And so that makes Josh Rosen an unlikely scenario right now. So the most likely thing is that the Giants could get their quarterback in the draft. And with that, let's get into some draft talk with our guest for today. On to the next one. Let's bring in 
ESPN insider or uh, analyst extraordinaire, Field Yates. Uh, Field coming with a his a little different background, right? Field a little, little scouting background, a little working in, working in front offices before you came over to ESPN. So adds a little a little extra to the brings a little extra to the table in that regard. Um, is, that, is that fair? Is that fair to say, Field? You do you agree with that yes, you know, so, assessment? Yeah. I, here's what I would say, Jordan, is I try to be a little bit of a byproduct of my past uh, in, in the variety of stops that I've had, Patriots, Chiefs, and now at ESPN. And, uh, you know, one thing that I try to do, Jordan, and sometimes it's difficult, is uh, I understand that every time a team makes a move, that team is making that move with the expectation that it will work out favorably. Now, there are times that moves meet the, uh, you know, on the surface don't necessarily make a lot of sense to us. Publicly, so my my goal has often been, or almost always been, all right. Rather than you know shredding a move the minute that I hear about it, I want to try to see what a team may have been thinking, what have been, what may have been the the interest, uh, the the impetus, uh, the reason behind it. That part uh, is what I try to use my background for. Now it doesn't always work, but that's sort of the goal of my coverage. So by saying that. I'm curious what you what do you make when you see the Giants some of the moves they made the idea that they signed Odell Beckham Jr. traded him one year later I mean that's obviously the big one here right like so as a looking at it from the perspective that you just explained how do you see what the Giants are doing and how do you make sense of okay this is the direction kind of that they're heading you know, I'm trying to think of almost like a marriage analogy, Jordan, but I think, and, and you can certainly push back here. I encourage you to do so if you think that I've lost myself in the train of thought somewhere. But last year, uh, when the contract was being negotiated, or was, when, when the Odell deal had not yet been done, right. there was an immense amount of public pressure that was mounting towards the New York Giants or on the New York Giants, extended all the way to the ownership level and certainly on GM Dave Gettleman, to a degree head coach Pat Shermer, even though ultimately he's the coach, the one coaching the guys, not necessarily picking the players and deciding how much money they make. But a team that I think had somewhat of, uh, was, was sort of on tilt, right? Like there wasn't a great amount of buzz in a positive direction that like, okay, This team is definitely going to be a playoff contender next year, but also not a team that we expected to fall and crater and be really, really bad again after finishing with the second-worst record. They definitely did not expect that, right. They're not trading for Alec Ogletree and and giving up assets for a guy who's getting paid a lot of money to be their middle linebacker and sitting in his mid-upper 20s if they're not planning to be a better team, right? So I think we we could all agree on that. Right, yep. Nate Solder. So I think the I think, Go down the list. Yeah, there were some moves. Uh, but my point, or where I was going to get to is this, Jordan, is that I feel as though the Giants, and not that Odell doesn't deserve the money that he made, um, but I almost feel as though the Giants felt on their end, we kind of have to get this deal done, or else it's going to be a hanging chad that just sits there for the entire season. Our most talented player or our second most talented player, depending on how you view Odell versus Saquon, is our also potentially unhappiest player. How is that going to play in the locker room? Are we going to have to spend our entire season answering questions about this? Is it going to cause lingering tension, friction, perhaps have something of a negative cloud cast over the franchise? Now, that being said, I think that the move was made um, in part because they want to, wanted to, 
but in part, Jordan, because I think the Giants almost felt like they had to make that move to sign Odell to the six-year deal, the five-year extension, now worth $96 million. Yeah, Field, imagine he, he wasn't happy He wasn't happy with the contract this year. Imagine what he would have been like without the contract this past year. So, yeah, I, I, right, I, under, been, I fully yeah, understand. It would have been, been, yeah, been totally disastrous, even, even more so than it probably already was. So now we fast forward to whatever it was, seven months after the deal is completed. And I think the Giants, like, you know, if you never were totally 100% in on doing this extension, and that is my interpretation, Jordan. This is not reporting. This is just sort of reading the tea leaves, right? Mm -hmm. The the year leading up to it, the way that the team, uh, you know, just sort of, I'm just sort of, uh, this is just my sense on it. And now an opportunity presents itself to trade Odell Beckham Jr. And you can decide whether or not you feel the value is, smart, whether you feel the value is too little. Um, I think most people would agree that you know the, the, the package they got was less than we might have conjured up in Odell Beckham Jr. hypotheticals. But I think this was, in some ways, I think the word cleansing of the palate is kind of what comes to mind here, is that we didn't want to necessarily do the deal entirely before it was done, and let's just take our uh, not, you know, let, let, let's get out. Let's just clear the books and start fresh. And right. I understand the team is worse talent-wise, but you know they may feel like financially uh, they weren't going to be able to justify the $16 million a year, whatever it was going to cost, to keep them around for the next five seasons. Yeah, I mean, you could if, if as long as you had the uh, the cheap quarterback, but we're not there yet. And that's why we're going to talk about the draft, right? Because everyone says, when are, we getting, when are they going to get that quarterback? When are the Giants going to get that quarterback? So we're looking at the top ten of the draft right now, right? There's... Yep. Perceived to be two top ten quarterbacks. I'm, I'm considering Murray and Haskins. Do you view it that way, or uh, uh, do yeah, you see? Could you see other guys? Is what I would say. Okay. okay. Yeah, I think two and a half is the answer because, uh, and the interesting part you're is saying that, Drew Locke so as think, a half. Yeah, but and I know that there are people in the NFL that actually feel like it's reversed. As a matter of fact, I didn't know there are people in the NFL, Jordan, that I, I know for a fact don't view Kyler Murray as a top 10 prospect in this year's class, but they just believe he's going to go number one overall. So even right. if they don't view him in that regard, they say, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kine. It only takes one Arizona. field. It only takes one. one overall. It only, it only, you, only need one, you only need that one team to love you. That's it. And that's where you're going. That's right. That's right. It, it, no doubt about it. And uh, we've seen that work well for some teams. We've seen it work poorly for some teams. But, um, you know, I think the Drew Locke and Dwayne Haskins, I don't want to say they're interchangeable, but there are definitely teams that do view Drew Locke as a superior prospect to Dwayne Haskins. Um, and now that being said, I still think, you know, if, if we were to play out this draft 100 times, Dwayne Haskins goes ahead of Drew Locke probably, you know, 85 or 90 of those times. Wow, that's pretty uh, high. That being, you know, which, which feels like, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I would and maybe you know, somewhere in that range. Okay. So I yeah, no, I get your done. point. We get the but point. We get three months or three weeks from today or whenever it is, three weeks, yeah, three weeks from tonight, um, you know, there's a very good chance that two of those quarterbacks go in the top 10. But it wouldn't stun me if three went in the top 10 or 11 because of trade-ups, which we know it's, that, that's how the draft operates, right? The order right now is is very much in in pencil. We are definitely not putting anything in ink yet. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Chip Kelly used to say, you know, with that, uh, we used to write the depth chart in sand. That was his that was his analogy, you know. So everything is written in sand yeah. at this point. So you can just take your foot or your hand and wipe wipe it all away if you want, right? And, and start over. So we know the draft is a crazy 
proposition every year. It's always like that. So let's say the Giants, and it's setting up to look like they really want a defensive guy with that first pick, right? That That's my impression yep. of everything so far. Is there any scenario where you can see, or how how what is the scenario where a Quinn and Williams, Josh Allen, or Nick Bosa actually slips to number five? I'm six, sorry. I don't think there's any chance that Nick Bosa falls that far. I think the most likely out of those three guys is actually Josh Allen. And not that I don't love Josh Allen. Not really? I, I, was gonna, I thought Josh you were going to go with Quinn and Williams there. But okay, let's, let's hear the reasoning. I'm interested. You know, but, yeah, I, I think that uh, Quinn and Williams, maybe it's so a right now uh, in today's NFL, I think that we are seeing more and more value of these disruptive interior players. Quinn and Williams. Uh, is not like Aaron Donald in the sense that he's what six four. Aaron Donald is you know a, a stouter, uh, you know more explosive player. Yeah. But I think that Aaron Donald has helped sort of pave the way to remind people that like you can be an absolute butt kicker as an interior defensive lineman who's not just going to stuff the run. You're also going to be able to rush the passer. And Quinn and Williams had a dominant year this year. Not that Josh Allen didn't as well, but there's a certain pedigree and cachet that goes along with playing at Alabama that we know tends to play well uh, in the draft. But I, I, maybe none of them are available, Jordan, but the way that one of them is available is if a team trades up and Kyler Murray also goes number one to Arizona. If some frogs into the top five pick and draft a quarterback because they're wary of the Giants taking one at pick six. And as much speculation as there has been and solid reporting from excellent people uh, about the Giants wanting to take a defensive end or a defensive prospect at pick six, if Dave Gettleman wakes up three weeks from today, Jordan, and says, I'm taking a quarterback with the first pick, like that's possible. And I think that every team that's behind them in the draft order is saying to themselves, yeah, we may, we may not be counting on it, but if it's possible, then we need to move up. We see teams do it all the time. The Bears, notably, moved up from three to two yeah. two years ago to draft Mitch With Trubisky the Niners, right? When very few, yeah, and people were like, you just gave up an extra third, and I think I think they made an extra third and a sixth to move up one spot? Like, did anybody think the 49ers were actually taking Trubisky? Well, <laughs> even if 95% of the population didn't, if 5% did and one of that, you know, part of that 5% was, you know, the 49ers themselves, then you have to make the move. Well, that that really brings me to my point too. I mean, then I was gonna the next question I was gonna bring up with you is you do everything you can to get the guy if you think it's you're gonna be your quarterback, right? I mean that that that's such an important position. You, like the 49ers, I mean the Bears proved you'll do what you do whatever it takes to get your quarterback. Which to me, what do you make of the idea? Does it even make sense to you thinking from like a front office perspective? Okay, because the Giants have said if. Uh, the value on our board doesn't align. We're not going to force a pick at 16. It doesn't with a quarterback. This is in regards to, and we wouldn't be sh- afraid to then take that a quarterback that aligns with what our board says and our grade says at 17. And to me, it's like, I, it's hard for me to comprehend. If you have a quarterback you think is going to be your franchise quarterback, why risk it? Right? Why risk losing that guy in those 11 picks between the Giants' 6th and 17th pick? Like, what, what's the front office perspective on that? Like, how, what could, how can you make sense of that for me? Jordan, if there's a guy that you believe in as your franchise quarterback, not only if he is available, do you take him a pick six, but if you have any morsel of doubt that he won't be there at pick six, 
you do whatever it takes to get high enough in the high enough in the draft order to select that player. And I know that maybe fans don't love that idea. Hey, uh, even if there's a phantom threat, even if it just feels like the Broncos or the Redskins or the Bengals, or the Dolphins want to move on. Yeah, but there's the draft, a bu- there are legitimately happens. a bunch of teams there. All right, there that is the range. There's oh, a bunch of teams that need that could go quarterback in that range. So there's definitely threats. They unquestionably could, but if you're in a front office and you believe there is a guy, and a guy that can be your guy, and, uh, and and when we talk about your guy, it's like you're talking about a 10-year investment in a quarterback, right? And you're talking about yeah, definitely. name any young quarterback right now. Maybe not Patrick Mahomes, but like a Carson Wentz or Deshaun Watson or Jared Goff or any of these excellent young quarterbacks we see around the NFL. You do it, you make the move, you don't blink. And even if it costs you a ton of draft capital, that's part of it. And, and maybe part of the thinking in the Odell trade is that you are now equipped to be more flexible in the draft uh, in a way that you might want to. 12 but picks. Where I, you know, yeah, it, no, you have a ton of picks now and, and you're well positioned, but it doesn't, it just sort of feels like that the Giants, as of right now, and we're just reading, you know, from the outside, uh, you know, it feels like the Giants might be more content. Um, you know, not going quarterback early. And, you know, the hard part for me, Jordan, this is the part that I always sort of come back to, is that, like, they, they bypassed four, four first-round quarterbacks, but I'll say three top-ten quarterbacks. So Lamar Jackson going 32 means that, you know, he really wasn't in the conversation for very many teams at all in the first round last right. season. Um, but the, the part, the rub is this, is that, uh, and, and the rookie year certainly proved it in a lot of ways, like, there are people, Dave Gettleman was far from on an island in thinking that Saquon Barkley was a generational talent. Right. Like, like the kind of Everybody guy knew he was a great player. There was nobody who didn't think he was a, a great player. Great, great player. And like over the past two drafts, even knowing what we know now, like I think there are still some people that believe he will have the single most impactful career out of any guy taken last year and any guy taken this year, even with the early returns on Baker Mayfield being awesome. Okay, um, sure, he's that good a player. Of a guy is. Yep. That being said, last year felt like the chance for the Giants to really sink their teeth in and invest in a quarterback, whether it's Sam Darnold or anybody else. Uh, this year, it just feels like a, a less, um, I would say, touted class and a class where there are just more question marks and. It feels like, the, and I could be wrong here, Jordan, but it feels like the stakes are higher for the Giants now. Uh, last year was not quite the honeymoon period, but still, like it was, was it Dave Gettleman's first full draft running, uh, working for the Giants? I believe yep. it was, yep. right? Yep. So, yep. Um, you know, hey, you have some margin for error in your first year. Now, the court of public opinion matters, especially uh, in the National Football League and premier markets, and I don't think that Dave Gettleman has has the benefit of the doubt in the eyes of some Giants fans. Maybe not all, but definitely some. So now if you mess up, if you draft a quarterback this year and that guy doesn't turn into a really good player, and I'm not talking about in like three years, but like within a year or two, you know, it's the kind of thing that can alter the tenor of a franchise and maybe also alter the way that someone's job security is viewed. Right. This is why the Giants, they're far behind the curve. The idea should have been to get this quarterback that we're talking about now two or three years ago. So if that is, ends up not being the guy, you're not caught in, in this long rut. And I mean, they're already, what, six, 2011 was the last time they were in the playoffs. So six out of seven years not making the playoffs. If they miss on a, ultimately a quarterback now this year, now we're looking at you're going to be on more than a decade of a bad run, right? So you, you want to try yeah, and get and, ahead and, of this as much as possible. And they're, they're kind of behind it. And like you said, that adds 
even more pressure on Dave Gettleman at this point and the whole regime. It really does. It really does. And it's, it's uh, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I noted how, you know, one of my sort of my uh, sort of the foundation of my analysis tends to be like, I want to figure out why a team made a move. Um, and, and really one of the exceptions right now in the NFL for me is the overall direction of the Giants. If you've named an NFL franchise, I think I, I could feel somewhat comfortable at least sort of trying to tell you, are they arrow up? Are they, uh, are they arrow down by design, right? Like the Dolphins right. might be arrow down by design. Um, what is sort of the thinking right now? And for the Giants, you know, it's, there are some really hard questions that need to be answered, and I'm not sure we're going to get answers to them um, until the football, until the games begin, and what, five months from now, and that's a long, long time. A lot of questions have to be answered, and I'm not sure that fans are going to become any more uh, comfortable with the situation until the games begin. And then you think to yourself, like, no matter what happened to the draft, Jordan, this is a team that's not going to be viewed going into the season as a playoff favorite, right? They're going to be viewed as no, probably not. the third team in the division at best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's clearly two levels of the division right now. I mean, that's the way it's viewed. We're sitting here. It is, what, early April, and it's the Cowboys and the Eagles – at the th- the two top teams at the top half and the Redskins and the Giants considered at the bottom half and the win totals in Vegas I think the the Redskins and Giants were both what six and under in regards to their win totals yeah. so that that's kind of where everybody predicts them to be and uh that's we'll we'll ultimately see what happens but that's the two levels of the division now when we look at the draft I mean you said it before imagine they do pass on Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke at pick number six, and they don't end up taking a quarterback. That's when you wonder, wow, then the court of public opinion is really going to be all over Dave Gettleman, right? Almost sort of like, who was, who, who was, uh, it's like the, uh, Browns passing on Wentz and then passing on Deshaun Watson and all these other guys, right? Sure. And that, that's sort of. At some point. Yeah, people are lauding the work, uh, the foundation that that Sashi Brown helped lay for the Browns because of what they've been able to do flexibility-wise. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately, Jordan, if this thing gets really right in Cleveland, like really, really right, uh-huh. uh, it'll probably be, hey, John Dorsey was the guy that drafted, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield and traded for Odell Beckham Jr. The narrative is not going to be, hey, what a great job, Sashi Brown did in acquiring draft capital and clearing cap space and managing clean books. So if you're the Giants, if you keep passing on a quarterback, like the person that's going to pick them is going to be the person that replaces you is most right. likely. Yeah. So they, but that is, that is, you can, see, this is why I can understand what the Giants are doing, right? I get it. The trading Odell, getting all these picks, sort of, I mean, for the most part, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't have gone and signed Golden Tate, but. You know, for the most part, you get it. 12 picks. They're going to have a lot of salary cap space next year. They're kind of clearing out. They're setting themselves up to be healthy in the future, build through the draft, uh, eventually draft a quarterback. And now that you get rid of Odell, you actually have, you, you're not, they're not in a position where they have to draft a quarterback this year, right? They're not running out of time in that regard with a, you're going to say Odell would be in like his eighth, ninth year if he didn't draft a quarterback this year by the time your quarterback gets up to speed. So I think they bought themselves time. So I see the plan. I see the value in what he's doing. The question I have is, and tell me if this is, you think this is fair or not, is should you trust the regime knowing that they missed on the opportunity to do this last year? 
right? And now we're doing it this year, one year later, and ultimately paying for all those mistakes that they made. When everybody, I mean, it wasn't that hard for people to see. It's not like people, nobody, nobody thought they should rebuild last year. But now they have to pay. So I don't think. Go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 the question's a fair one. I don't think that the game has passed Dave Gutterman by, and by that, that, that feels like an extreme uh, take right now. But it does feel like when a lot of the league is progressing in ways that intuitively we all comprehend from the outside, right? The advantage of investing in a young quarterback. Uh, some of the ways that that sets up your salary cap, the roster construction, et cetera, it feels like Dave Gellman has a bit of a stubbornness to him. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of things, a lot of roads sort of drift back to Eli Manning, right? I mean, yeah. um, everything I goes back to Eli. I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's why, does. ultimately, why right. Odell Beckham is not on the Giants, in my opinion. I think that's to a degree fair, right? I, I think the people are like, even if, the way that Dave Gettleman feels about Eli Manning is specifically what he has been saying, which is, you know, we got a lot of good football left in him. Um, I, I, like, it'd be one thing if this was a quarterback on ice early in his career where you had to manage the confidence of him. Hey, you know, like, we think that this guy is going to be a really good player. You know, maybe like the Bucks have to be very careful with their words right now about Jameis Winston. Fifth year in the league, right. it had some good, but it had some bad. Eli Manning is a two-time Super Bowl champion, a possible Hall of Famer, Jordan, all kinds of historic numbers in terms of Giants passing records. If Dave Gettleman went out there right now and said, Eli's got to play better or he's going to be on the chopping block, like, do you think Eli's going to be faced by that? Like, <laughs> uh, maybe I am wrong, but I feel like Eli's going to do the exact same thing he would have done if Dave Gettleman went out there and said, Eli Manning is the greatest quarterback of all time. He's by far the best Manning. He'd probably show up the next day, come to work. I mean, he's got $500,000 in terms of reasons to show up to the offseason program. He's going to, you know, he never misses practice. He never misses games. Like, I don't think you have to. Part of me wonders if, like, if Dave Gettleman just sort of toned down the Eli support. And not that it's been so overbearing, but if it was just a little bit more conservative, if people would build a little bit more trust in Dave Gettleman, the psychology of the words. And I know that football guys are football guys. They care about the tape and the result on the field. He's one a of the tape guy, that that's I've for sure. Being on sort of both sides. Sure, he's a tape guy. But one thing I've learned from being on both sides of it is that there is a little bit of an intersection uh, between the guy, what the player does on the field and then how we talk about and examine and analyze those players from the other side of it. And I think that there is, and I'm not trying to tell Dave Dave Gettleman how to do his job. He's far better and knows more about football in his pinky than I'll ever know my entire life. But just from the optics of some of the comments that he's saying, if you want to build that trust, I think there's a lot of good that can be done by being a little bit more careful with some of the words, specifically as it pertains to Eli. I just think that that right there is probably, you know, we talked about have they earned the trust? Do you believe in Dave Gettleman making these picks? I think a lot of people that, that doubt Dave Gettleman doubt him because they've seen him publicly back Eli Manning when there's been you know several seasons of evidence that suggests he is like you know at best a league average quarterback right now. Yeah, and you know I've had people that say to me, well, you know, 
he might not really mean that. He just got to come out there publicly and say, well, the, you don't have to come out publicly and call it a crock and say you're all creating narratives and you're all, you know, like there, there's a, there's a middle road there between there that he could have walked and, uh, like you said, and the court of public opinion might change on that. But okay. Let's, uh, rip off a couple quick draft questions, right? Before we get out of here. Yep. What happens if Kyler Murray is not the number one overall pick? I think it's Nick Bosa, and I think that Kyler Murray goes number somewhere sooner or somewhere as late as pick four, like nothing lower than pick four. And I think Oakland gets Kyler Murray playing in the ODOT Co Coliseum or whatever it's called <laughs> just for the team that they weren't expecting him to be playing for. Yeah, that's crazy. The Whatever the athletic stadium is called these days, right? With the, out, the outfield yeah, in the, the outfield in the middle of the field or the infield in the middle of the uh in the middle of the field right you know the, the Oakland Coliseum we can still call it I don't know what it's called these days but that's interesting yeah, it's so, an embarrassment to see it like that though yeah it is it's terrible but they won't be there much longer well we could we can make a plan we'll meet out in Vegas all right we'll go watch a Done. game in, we'll go watch I'm a in. game in Vegas <laughs> that'll be a much better atmosphere I promise all right so I'm all the way in offensive lineman the top offensive linemen, people I talk to seem to be all over on, right? We're talking about Jawan Taylor from Florida, um, Jonah Williams from Alabama, and uh, Andre Dillard from Washington State, right? You could find different people from different teams who kind of like any of those three guys. Do any of those offensive now, tackles go in the top ten or possibly in the top seven? I think Jawan Taylor has the best chance of going in the top ten the reason why is that I think if you were to look at the quote-unquote limitations for each of those three guys, I think his are perhaps the most forgivable in the NFL. I know that like the easy answer on Jonah Williams, is he a guard? Is he a tackle? He's got short, short arms. arms right. The short arms, right. Short arms thing. Yeah, which people are, are really sort of bothered by. Yep. With Andre Dillard, it's um, whether or not, regardless of what Dillard's playing weight is right now, even if he's listed at 315 or something like that at the Combine, uh-huh. it's a matter of how much lead do you have in the trunk, right? Are you going to play with enough power to be an effective NFL tackle? The guy is an outstanding athlete, that much we know, and he's very good in his feet. But you've got guys that are excellent on their feet with power coming off the edge, whether it's you know the cream of the crop like an Aaron Donald or, uh, or I guess not off the edge, but you know Vaughn Miller coming right. off the edge who can beat you with power and speed. Um, or if it's a player that you might see, you know, you look at the division, right? You might see guys, uh, you know, Demarcus Lawrence twice a season if you're a Giants offensive tackle. Um, you got to have more than just good athletic ability or good power. You got to have both, which is why I go back to Jawan Taylor. I think, think the one that has the best chance of going in the top ten. Rashawn Gary, interesting guy. I mean, just because production doesn't totally match the potential there. Some up and downs, and then just just some interesting things along the lines of him creating his own sports agency. I I just I can't see that kind of thing being well received uh, inside the New York Giants building. Does he go in the top six picks or not? Yeah, he has his own agency, which is just you know like that. Just how about that? Um, <laughs> I don't know that he goes in the top six picks, Jordan. Uh, I don't think if I had to guess, and I because you know, I have a hard time seeing the Giants. Indeed. I have the hard time seeing the Giants pick him. I'll be honest. I, it just it, yep, I'm with you as well. I'm the, with the you production as well. up and down, and, the, the the things that you know. And look, I'm all for guys being entrepreneurs and doing stuff off the field. 
But like you said before, these are football guys, a lot of these people. That doesn't mean it's going to sit well. Sure. It's going to sit well with them. They want you to be like, football is your life, and this is what you want. This is what you're worried about 100%. Correct. They want priorities to be, in their mind, intact. What I would say with Rashawn Gary is probably this is, you know, I used this, twi- this phrase on Twitter recently, and I think some people kind of misconstrued it. It's the golden rule of scouting is you draft traits and not production. What I mean by that is not that you ignore production, right? And obviously production can often correlate with traits. Right. But there have been many examples of guys who have been, who have been off the charts incredible in terms of production in college and, like, don't make it in the NFL for a while. I'm not sure if he still holds all these records. There was a guy, I remember scouting him, um, at uh, back in 2010, a guy named Freddie Barnes, so wide receiver who had like the most incredible production of all time. It was nuts. Like his college career, he had like 160 catches um, his in, in his final season uh, at at Bowling Green, Jordan. But the guy was not even close to an NFL player. I mean, he ended up <laughs> signing as an undrafted free agent and pl- played in Canada a little while. Um, but you know, the guy was not an NFL level player. And conversely, you have guys that, uh, and I, this is you know an example that I always use as sort of the extreme. Richard Seymour was had a had one and a half sacks his final year at Georgia. Richard Seymour uh, went sixth overall to the Patriots in two thousand and one, I think it was, and got you know just raked over the coals for his lack of production. Well, if you looked at him, and you know clearly Bill Belichick knew what he was doing at that time, and Scott Pioli, the guy is, is a Hall of Fame finalist. Like, sometimes you've got to look deeper than what the production tells you. For Sean Gary, I mean, the numbers just are they're, they're sort of harrowing, right? I mean, yeah. number one player in the country coming out of high school and less than, 10, less than 10 career sacks at Michigan. Like, in three seasons, you expect more than that out of a guy who was supposed to dominate from day one. Yeah, no, I mean, that scares teams. It's got to scare teams. I, I mean, I, I look – He's going to probably be in that discussion, especially if Allen, Williams, and Bosa are off the board for the Giants at six. But I just, I, it's there's something about it. It's just hard for me me to see, knowing the way this organization thinks that they could pull the trigger on a Rashawn Gary as, as the sixth overall pick in the draft. Just too much, too much risk. I think that's basically what it is. It's a risk assessment. This whole draft, yeah. right? You're trying to mitigate, I, mitigate, I, I, and minimize all the risk you can. I think so too, and I, I would be. I know that Jawan Taylor going six overall is probably too high, Jordan, in most people's eyes. But right. like, I think I'd be more surprised if the Giants took Rashawn Gary six overall than I would be if they took Jawan Taylor to be their right tackle at six overall. You know? Yeah. No, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you. Well, we're out of time. I, I appreciate it. It's Field Yates dropping. Mad knowledge on us here. Just the, the massive amount of draft and NFL insider knowledge. We appreciate it, Field. Thank you so much for stopping by. And we'll do it again sometime soon. That sounds good. Thanks, Jordan. All right. On to the next one. Yes, it's that time of this episode where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in this week's Giants After Dark. I haven't done enough of these lately, and I know everybody's been pestering me with questions, and uh, I'm sorry I haven't been able to see most of them, and I can't go, because there's people that just constantly troll me on Twitter, and the comments and the mentions are ridiculous, and I refuse to block anyone, so it's just such a mess 
that it prohibits me from being able to go and answer questions like I used to. So now that's why we have this podcast and this Giants After Dark uh, segment. So with that, let's get into it with at Will Henry 3724. He says, what players do you think the Giants like for the 6th and 17th picks? Now, I said I'd make my sort of projection at this point. Uh, 17's a little harder. So let's start with 6, okay? Now, if Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, or Quinnen Williams are available, they'll, they'll run to the podium and draft any of those three guys. Now, I don't see them being available because you put Kyler Murray, I think, who would likely go one, and then Allen, Bosa, Williams in some way, shape, or form uh, between two and five, some way like that. So that leaves me with a list right here, right, of guys that I think the Giants would contemplate. One being Ed Oliver, one the defensive lineman from uh, Houston, Devin White, the LSU linebacker, Rashawn Gary, a defensive lineman from Michigan, and even Brian Burns, a Florida State uh, outside linebacker, and Montez Sweat, also a Mississippi State outside line, or defensive end outside linebacker. So those are the guys that I think would be in the discussion, right? Now, to me, at this point, I'm going to go with Ed Oliver as my most likely pick for the Giants at number six. I just think, look, once upon a time, meaning two years ago, where the Giants wouldn't consider Ed Oliver. And it's nothing that he they don't think he's a good player, probably. It was the same with Aaron Donald. They weren't going to draft Aaron Donald because they used to play a 3-4 defense, and they just thought that those... Interior guys, they, they preferred the bigger guys, and they like the bigger, stronger guys. So the lesser guys, the, the smaller guys, I'm, I shouldn't say lesser, the smaller guys were kind of downgraded. Now, Ed Oliver would probably fit into that category if they were playing a 4-3, and they needed two interior guys, and they wanted two guys over 300 pounds in the middle. But they play a 3-4, a and as a defensive end, taking a 280-pound defensive end who can get up the field and get after the quarterback, that's where the game is going. So I'm giving the Giants enough credit saying, hey, that's a possibility that they go in that direction now. That he could play the three technique, five technique, and play on the outside in that three, four, and then when they go into their pass rushing packages could be used on the interior and make crazy noise from the interior. So I'm leaning towards Ed Oliver at this point at number six. At number 17, really anything goes. But I do think that Drew Locke, if he's there, they'll run in and select Drew Locke. Daniel Jones, if he's there, I think they would also take Daniel Jones if Drew Locke was off the board. So I think a quarterback at 17 is possible. So right now, those are my most likely picks for six and 17. Now the other alternative is... They pass on lock in the first round. I mean, the first pick at six. They do have a lot of draft capital to move up to, say, to 12 or 13, 11, 12, 13, whatever, to draft Drew Locke if that's the way they want to go. I think that's a possibility as well. So that's my opinion right now on pick six and 17 as we sit here. What is today? April 4th. Draft is exactly three weeks away. So next question, Jolan Biokua. Says, is there actually a possibility of Russell Wilson? And I'm going to say, not really. Okay, put it at 1%. Russell Wilson is not leaving the Seattle Seahawks. I'd be stunned if he did. Why would the Seahawks let him go? They will not. On to the next question. 
At Big Pup 03, James Mail says, if for some reason Murray and Haskins are there at six, would Giants considering auctioning pick if they don't like either of them? Yeah, absolutely they should. And I think they would because that would mean a lot of their defensive guys that they're probably targeting are off the board. The big question is, would the Giants actually consider Kyler Murray if he's sitting there at number six? And it's really one I haven't been able to wrap my brain around. I'm, I'm going to say I think they would. I don't think ultimately they'd be able to pull the trigger, but I think they would really think long and hard about that. I mean, the guy is just so explosive, has so much potential. Uh, but ultimately, it's just hard for me to see, envision them drafting him. So, at Lundquist7 asked me on Instagram, hopping into the IG message and steering clear of the Twitter cesspool. He spelled cesspool right, which I didn't when I wrote that on Twitter. So good for you, Lundquist. Bad for me. Are the Giants actually high on Jones' ability, or is it a comfort thing with Eli and Cutcliffe? Or is this all an elaborate smokescreen? Fingers crossed. Well, I don't think it's an elaborate smokescreen. I think the Giants do like Daniel Jones, and it's not just because of that Eli connection, Cutcliffe connection. I mean, you have to understand, Pat Shermer is pretty close with Ryan Day. He's the head coach. Uh, He was the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. So you can make that same thing argument with the coach and and, uh, Dwayne Haskins, so I don't think that exists. I think it's more mostly that they like him as a player. They like the skill set that he brings. And then when you look at it and you say the Eli and the Cutcliffe things, those are bonuses. They just add to it. But that'll be an easy thing for everyone on the outside who doesn't like to pick to sort of jump on and jump on the Giants for, especially if they pass Dwayne Haskins at number six and he ends up being a better quarterback than Daniel Jones who they take. That'll be problematic for the Giants in the court of public opinion. And with that, that's the end of this week's Giants After Dark. Remember, always send me my send you can always send me questions, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email, wherever. I'll do my best to get get to them and answer them as best as possible. On to the next one. And that's gonna be it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Um, we have the draft now in three weeks from today. So keep the questions coming. And I promise, I know I let you down last week. I know. I know. It's my bad. I've said it before. This is my second strike. The third strike, you can all come and take it out on me. I promise. I'll, I'll, I'll think of a, a self-made punishment. And you got to let you guys even pick it out, all right? So if I don't come through and produce three podcasts, one each or actually two in these next two weeks leading up to the draft, because the draft is actually three weeks from today as I tape this. I'll even try and do one the week of the draft. Hopefully, I don't know, but that's a busy week. But I will try to get one done every week, some way, shape, or form, okay? And with that, remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, give us good ratings. We always need the help. And you can catch us on a podcatcher, uh, iTunes, Google Play, anywhere anywhere you can find uh, podcast really. We're there for you. I promise. And with that, that's the end of this week's episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.